Hey, this is Dick Wagner, and you're listening to Rock Strikes 10. Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey, and I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, whether it's your first time or it is your 76th time. You're doing so on cnjradio.com or you're subscribed on iTunes, never missing a single solid show. I want to thank all of the friends of the show that have been here since day one. And I want to also give some thanks here. I got to thank my cnjradio.com partner in crime and best friend Chris. Without you, there would be no show. I want to thank Nola for just inspiring me, period, on a daily basis and making life worthwhile. Thank you so much, baby. I want to send an extra special thanks out to the great Chris Senzak of the Decibel Geek Podcast, dbgeekshow.blogspot.com. And he's also on iTunes under Decibel Geek Podcast. Subscribe to his show as well, of course, and listen to it. We are like-minded people. Uh, He put the good word out for me, and without him, this particular episode would have never happened. So thank you very much, Chris. It means a lot. It really does. I owe you one big time, man. So why am I in such a good mood? Well, I got my first ever interview on Rock Strikes 10. I'm very excited about it. And uh, I, I I didn't make him aware that this was my first interview. I was hoping he wouldn't notice. And he was very complimentary, very much a gentleman, and very, very fun to talk to. Mr. Dick Wagner. Dick Wagner, musician and songwriter extraordinaire. The man has played on tons of stuff. You might have heard him on some other podcasts, like the Rock and Roll Geek Show, of course, by the pod father, Michael Butler and the aforementioned Decibel Geek podcast. Great interviews on there. I highly recommend you go check them out. Uh, the man has played on tons of stuff. My big deal is that he played on my all-time favorite album, Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. He played on a couple of songs on Kiss's Destroyer. He played the awesome solo along with his longtime guitar partner, Steve Hunter, on Train Kepa Rollin' on Aerosmith's Get Your Wings. I just might have to go on all night here telling you everything that he's done. I'm going to whip him off as quickly as I can, and we'll get to the interview, I promise. Uh, Like I said, I think about 70 songs that Alice Cooper has recorded, he has written with him, or also played on it. Additionally, uh, the entire Nightmare album, the entire Alice Cooper Goes to Hell album, pretty much the whole Lace and Whiskey album, and pretty much the whole From the Inside record he had a hand in working alongside David Foster and Bernie Toppin and people like that. Uh, you know, everybody from my mom to my hipster friends loves something that this man has had a hand in. All the way from Air Supply to Peter Gabriel and Lou Reed. All the way over to Tim Curry. Yes, Tim Curry's rock albums in the 70s. Dick had a hand in those as well. But hey, let's just get to the interview and the songs. Hey, what do you say? Check it out. Myself and Dick Wagner. Here you go. So uh, I'll get a little bit of the butt kissing out of the way before I get to the actual format of the show. Is uh, oh, you keep it up for a while if you want. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did just want to take the time to tell you 
that uh, honestly, when people ever ask me the question, what my favorite album of all time is, I, I never hesitate to say it's Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. And uh, obviously you have a heavy hand in that. You, you wrote the thing, you played on it, you did the tour, you did everything about it. So it's it's been a big part of my life, and I want to thank you for that. Thank you very much for that compliment. Oh, You know what? Oh. Welcome to My Nightmare was, you know, that was my entire life for about two years. You know, from, the, uh, from the tour to the recordings, to the television special, to the documentary film. I mean, we just lived Welcome to My Nightmare for a couple of years. Yeah. It was quite yeah. quite great. It was a beautiful band and a beautiful tour. I mean, the people got along. It was like 50 people on tour together. And it was it really was like a big family at that time. That's really cool. You usually hear about such tour drama with bands in the 70s especially, and that's really good to know that you guys were a family. It was, it was fantastic. Even Alice meeting his wife on that tour, thats that that further proves the point. <laughs> so. Yeah, that, that, that's ironic. Yeah. The, the, uh, actually, speaking of Nightmare, I didn't plan on asking you this question, but uh, it, it popped into my head. Obviously, the concert tour was released on DVD, where you're featured prominently on it. That great duel you always did with Steve during the solo right. section. Um, do you know about any plans about the, the TV special ever making it to DVD? It's never been released on DVD. Do you know anything about that? Well, it was done on ABC television, so now you got the big network thing involved, so I don't know how you would get that property away from them. Huh, okay. Yeah. Unless for an initial, an initial deal made, which obviously there isn't. Yeah. Okay. One of the the first interactions you had with Alice apparently was playing uh, on the Billion Dollar Babies album. I know you wrote I Love the Dead, or co-wrote it. Right. Alice said something on his radio show a little bit ago saying that both Ringo Starr and Mark Bolin dropped by and possibly played on any some stuff during that album. Can you clarify any of that or, or uh, clear that the, up at all? The Billion Dollar Babies album? Yeah. Do you have any memory of that? I really don't know anything about that. I don't know if that's true or not. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Well, I just thought that was interesting. What a session that would have been with, with all of you guys there. But, uh, if we'd have all been playing together, that would have been terrific. Yeah. And uh, one of the other things I really wanted to clarify about, you know, looking at your massive bio, I mean, you played with legends. And uh, you you played with Ringo? Did uh, on a, it's like a solo stuff, or, or can you clarify I, what you worked no, on with them? I did not play with Ringo. That's people get that impression. Unfortunately, you know, he did. Uh, he did one of my songs. Oh, okay. And I, I think I think I'm not sure which one it was. I know that that his band, the band, the super band, whatever. Right. Played a. Uh, well, Nils, Nils Lofgren was in there, too. So it's the song that Nils did. Okay, I know that song, yeah. Nils and I wrote this song called Shine Silently, which is probably the, his biggest hit. Yeah. And, um, and a big hit for me, but mainly in Europe. It's huge in Europe. Okay. Shine Silently. Okay. I think, okay. I think they did that song. So, you know, my promotion people, they include everything, you know. It's like, yeah. It's my crazy. song, therefore I play with Ringo. I mean, <laughs> it's like Frank Sinatra, the same thing. Frank Sinatra, I never met Frank Sinatra, but he did make a recording of um, 
you and me. Yeah, there you go. So, so I'm associated with Frank Sinatra. I wish they would take that crap out of there. I don't, I don't really like to read Frank Sinatra there because then I got to explain it. Yeah. I have, to, I have to tell the truth. I don't really want to make out like I was, you know, working in the studio with Frank Sinatra when I wasn't. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. It's it's good to clarify things, especially in this day and age of a lot of misinformation on the internet. So. Right. Yeah. It makes you sound like you're something that that maybe you aren't totally. I've had a lot of good fortune. I mean, the, the Only Women Bleed, that song has been recorded by about 30 artists. Yeah. So, you know, that's good because that's one of those songs where you go out every three months, you get a check. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that song has basically sustained me since 1975. Just that song alone, so. That's amazing. Yeah, and yeah, it can be important, especially if thirty people record a song. Yeah, I've I've kept up on you over the years, and I've I've noticed that. Uh, and I know a few years ago you did that. Uh, you you played on a new recording of it with Wednesday. Uh, besides besides that version, which I'm sure you might put up there, uh, out of all the cover versions, which one do you prefer the most? What's your personal preference? Anna James, I like a lot. Oh yeah, that's a great so, version. That live version, especially that she does. Yeah, it's like blues it's great. Yeah, because the studio version is good, but the live version, she just kills on it. So. his woman to take his seat he's got the power she's got the need she spends her life through pleasing up her man she feeds him But she cries alone at night too often. He smokes and drinks and don't come home at all. Only women bleed. Only women bleed. Only women bleed. Only women bleed. your hair gray he's your life's mistake all we're really looking for is an even break he lies right at you you know you hate this game but he slaps you once in a while and then you live in love and pain but she cries alone at night too often Because he smokes and drinks and don't come home at all Only women bleed Only women bleed Only 
Tori Amos. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, that was a yeah. I actually I had to find that one on an import single, and I was like, why did that not make it on the proper album? But then there's a beautiful version by a group in England called Never the Bride. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah, and I don't know if they ever released it, but I I brought them in from England to sing backgrounds on a a group that I was producing in Italy uh, named the Mugshots. Yes. Their, their record's coming out on the 29th of this month. Oh, very cool. Well, I, I'll definitely promote that. I sent them over from England and sing vocal backgrounds, and they did. And they played me this version of I, um, Only Women Believe that they had recorded. And it's it's beautiful. It's lovely what they did. So I don't know if that's ever been released. I can't say that. But I know that there is a version cut by Never the Bride. Okay. So... Uh, one last thing I'll ask you about Only Women Bleed before we get to uh, some of the fun parts of the show here is it really is an amazing song and I'm glad that you're still proud of it uh, for the fact that so many women have covered it I, you know a few guys have but the the vast majority of covers are done by women It's it, it's, it was the first real song to tackle that kind of an issue do you feel proud that you got that message out there one of the first ones to really do that in 1975, Gloria Steinem called it the Women's Liberation Song of the Year. And so it's always had that that underpinning. You, you know that this is really about domestic violence. Yeah. The first song to ever explore it on any depth. And so I'm proud of that, of course. You know. And that vision, that version, I'll call it vision too, that I did with Wednesday. Yeah. I, I wrote an extra verse for it. Yeah. You know, which was the very dynamic ending of the song for for Wednesday. If you've never heard that version, yeah. But it's, that's part of a really beautiful video that we have dedicated. It's up on it's up on the internet. Yes, uh, I saw that video. It's a great video. To the women of to the women of the world and to the men who love and protect them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so, and it's quite a video. It was more or less done by my partner, Alex Sorrell. Um, he put that video together. So you know, anybody who wants to go on, click on uh, to to the women of the world. All right. Yeah. And you and you can see that video with only women bleed by Wednesday. Yeah, I will definitely put links to that up on the website when yeah. I post the show, so people can actually see. It. It's a great video. I've seen it myself. Very, Thank you. Very powerful. Uh, okay. I noticed, uh, I could see, I, like I said, I could see on the video, you have an amazing plaque there for the Welcome to My Nightmare record. On, on my profile picture, just to the side of me, you can see a Welcome to My Nightmare album that, that I actually got autographed by Alice uh, cool. when I met him. And this kind of ties, this definitely ties into you as well. When I was trying to think of something I could say to Alice, when you wait in an autograph line, you don't just want to say the same, oh, you're great, you're great, because they hear that all the time, just like I'm sure you do. Uh, when I met him, I actually uh, thanked him for having such a cool, varied set list. You know, of course he has he has to do like you know this the the half dozen hits that you have to play, and of course only women bleed is always one of them. But uh, he always plays some a lot of stuff outside the box of what you're not expecting. And one of my favorite songs that you guys ever did, whether he remembers it or not, is I Better Be Good. And oh, yeah. <laughs> I think from, it's such a funny, catchy song. And it is, that's from Zipper Catches Skin. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you knew it right off the bat. When I when I asked him about that song, I said, would you guys ever consider playing that live again? Because I think it's a great song that you and Dick did. He says, 
you know, I haven't had anybody request that song in, uh, and then he paused and said, I, I don't think anybody's ever requested that song. And then he goes, what album is that on? And I'm like, it's on Zipper Catch a Skin. He goes, I'll have to listen to that again, because obviously I don't remember it. But it better be good. Yeah. It better be good tonight. Yeah, and that was a great song. Those sessions were very weird. I mean, that was a kind of a, if you listen to that album intently, you'll see that it's, uh, you can't help but listen to it any other way, because it's so speedy. Yeah. You know, and there was a session where everybody was pretty high all the time. Right. You know, I hate to admit to any kind of drug abuse or anything, but uh, there was a time, and the time was long gone. Yeah. And we made that record just during that time, and... Um, so a lot of the songs are pretty up-tempo, really frantic kind of songs. Yeah. That was the day my dead pet returned to save my life. Yeah, I'm alive, yeah. <laughs> I'm alive. I mean, it was interesting because it really had some pretty cool songs, but it makes me nervous when I listen to that album. Yeah, it's very, I call it nervous rock. Like uh, Alice yeah, and, and Iggy, Iggy Pop also did a lot of albums very similar to that in that time period. So it's something yeah, about the early 80s that had people doing that. Yeah, you know, if you read my book, you'll read a story about uh, a, a band that Iggy Pop and I had, did one rehearsal for that we were going to put a band together. Oh, man. Yeah. It's a very interesting book, man. It's uh, it's funny. It's uh, I have to brag on myself. No, no, please, please. Since I am a first-time author, I think I did a tremendous job, and um, the, the the reviews have been fantastic. All five-star reviews forever, and uh, people actually love this book. So, yeah. when you get it, you you'll enjoy it. I'm sure you will. And there there are the two CDs in the back, which are both really good. And, uh, and you being a rock and roll fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You're definitely going to enjoy my Full Meltdown album. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah, Full Meltdown. Isn't uh, Remember the Child the other CD that's on there? Or No, what it is is my friend Gary Telgenhoff okay. is uh, like the senior medical examiner for Las Vegas. Okay. He does, okay. does the autopsies. And, um He's also a rock and roll drummer and songwriter. Okay. So I've done a few records with him to help him get started. And uh, this one is great, and I played all the guitars on it. So for me, it's more of a feature of my guitar playing. And then the other one is the full meltdown, which is you know, me doing everything. So it's really, I, I, put it, I put that CD in there, too, just to help Gary, because I wanted him to be exposed to to my fans, people who buy my records. You know, because he's in Las Vegas, he's cutting up people every day, and he really has no distribution. Huh. And so I decided to try to help him a little bit, you know, so I put it in there, and it's a great album. Well, that's really cool of you to do that, especially for a friend. I mean, you're, I mean, you're obviously a cool guy, even willing just to come on and talk to me for a little bit, so I, I thank you. Uh, I'm happy talking to you. A few things I wanted to get into with you here on the show, and mainly the main crux of the show is I come on and it's always a themed list, like a top ten themed list for whatever pops into my head that week, whether it's uh, news related or just lists that people want me to do as far as you know, favorite whatever. And I figured when I had somebody really cool come on the show 
that they would uh, maybe possibly be willing to talk about stuff that influenced them or stuff they're currently listening to. So would you like, would you be willing to uh, talk about some of your favorite all-time albums and songs? I'm willing to talk to you about anything. You just ask me anything you want. Okay. Uh, well, how about, what was the first, let's just let's just go easy. What was the first song or 45 that you heard that really just did it for you, that, that made you spark? Well, okay. We're talking the 1950s here. Sure, yeah. High points were, I'm sitting in the cafeteria in junior high school in Royal Oak, Michigan, in Jane Adams Junior High School. I think I'm in the seventh grade. We used to have the radio piped into the cafeteria so the local radio station would be playing music while we, the kids had their lunch. That's cool. So I'm sitting there, and this song comes on, and I, I couldn't believe it. I had never heard a sound like that or a, anything like it. It was just so different. It was Heartbreak Hotel by Elvis Presley. That'll do it. Yeah. And I heard that, well, since my baby left me, um, you've got a new place to dwell. I mean, it's blues. You know, yeah. but, but done in the southern um, Elvis Presley style. And I never heard anything like that. And I never heard of Elvis Presley either. It was a strange name. But just to, right at that moment, to know that you were, you'd heard you know, organically, that that song, the beginning of his career, um, is powerful stuff, really. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that heartbreak hotel where I'll be. I'll be just a lonely baby. Well, I'm so lonely. I'll be just a lonely. I could die. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room for broken-hearted lovers to cry there in the gloom. Be so, well, be so lonely, baby. Be so lonely. Be so lonely, they could die. Keep flowing, the desk clerk's dressed in black. Well, they've been so long on lonely street, they'll never, they'll never look back and think it's so, think it's so lonely, baby. Well, they're so lonely, well, they're so lonely, they could die. Well, if your baby leaves you, you got a tale to tell. Well, just take a walk down lonely street to heartbreak hotel where you will be. So lonely, baby. Well, you'll be lonely. You'll be so lonely, you could die. I loved it. I became an Elvis Presley fan, of course, immediately. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I never got into the 
point of like traveling to Graceland to lay flowers on his grave. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, but Elvis was a major influence on me in those days, just in the way I started to dress with the collar up and the ducktail haircut. I mean, the whole thing being, being everybody's trying to be Elvis, right? Yeah. So, and his music up until, God, I don't know, really still moving. The last record I can remember that really moved me by Elvis was Suspicious Minds. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a terrific, uh, a terrific song. But the rest of his story is so tragic. Yeah. You know, that it's just too bad that he couldn't have held on to yeah. what it was in his youth. But none of us can do that, I guess. We try and we try. But becoming young or staying young is just not possible. You know, I try to stay as young as I can, and I'm into the music. I still write, I produce, I play live. Um, I try to stay with it because it makes me feel young. It keeps me possibly a little bit younger than most people who are 70. Oh yeah. But um, you're you're way. I could tell you're way ahead of the curve. I mean, you're you're doing stuff, and that's that's the important part. Oh yeah. I mean, I I will be playing music until the day I drop over I and mean, fall over, fall down, whatever. I, Actually, I've already fallen down, but now I'm back up. And uh, because I love it. I mean, I love doing it. I can't do it like I did when I was 20, 21. I mean, I can't move around like that. Right. Right. But uh, when I can play on another level, you know, it's a, yeah. you, you get more into a spiritual level at some point where the music you make has meaning and real meaning compared to like your earlier records, your first records. Yeah which were directed towards being pop records or having, you try hard to have influence. I don't try anymore. I just write and play what I play and people like it. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Well, um, I, I like staying in that early era, like that first era of rock and roll in the fifties, you know, of course, talking about Elvis, is there, is there anybody, cause when, when I used to buy records, when I was a kid or, you know, when my parents would buy me the records, you know, you, you get your favorites, and sometimes you just want a song because you like it, but then that realization later on, like, hey, not everybody likes this song, and this didn't become a hit, or it's kind of forgotten over the years. You don't hear it on oldies radio or anything. Is there is there an early record that you really liked or single, and you wonder why people don't talk about it anymore? Well, the record, one of the records that really affected me, in fact, I do my own version of this song, in my live shows, but it was the original recording of Stagger Lee by Lloyd Price. Ah, uh, yeah, that's a great I song, mean, yeah. What a fantastic, just fantastic record. I mean, I used to listen to that, put the radio on, and listen and listen all day long just trying to get to hear Stagger Lee. Yeah. The night was clear and the moon was yellow and the leaves came Tumbling down
See, I've been influenced in a lot of different ways. That's one song I can say for sure. Yeah. Um, the other one that just absolutely killed me. I mean, they had this little dance at my junior high school called Bogey. Yeah. Boy, girl, boy, girl. Oh, nice. And, I like that. <laughs> it's called Bogey. You get to go to Bogey on Friday after school. It was like at 6.30 or something like that. Early. And kids could go in and dance to the current records being played. And, uh, of course, none of us had ever danced before. So we were learning to dance. It was our first kind of social interaction with the opposite sex, yeah. which was scary. And at the same time, it was uh, really deeply, uh, you know, human. But walking in, I remember the first time I went to Bogey. I was scared because I thought I was going to have to dance. And I didn't know how to dance yet. But I went in and... What should come over the PA system loud was Long Tall Sally by Little Richard. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, man, I heard that song, and I, I just knew there was something different in the world than going to junior high. That uh, it was just incredible, you know. So that was one of my early, Little Richard was a huge influence in me and my music initially. Gonna tell that Mary about Uncle John. He claimed he has a music, but he's having a lot of fun, oh, baby. Those little Richard records, you you don't even have to know how to dance. It'll just compel you to move in the way that he wants you to. That's dumb. That's oh, dumb. that's that's for sure. And then later on, just ironically, I was producing a group called the Throbs for Geffen Records, and they wanted Little Richard to be on their record. So I sent them down to, to the Continental Hyatt House Hotel in L.A., where Little Richard was living. 
the, the infamous want, hotel. If you, want, if you want him on the, on your record, man, go get him. Go make him do it. Yeah. So they went down and they actually talked to him and he agreed to come out and and, and uh, record. Wow. So he, they came back to me and they're going, oh man, he's going to come. He's going to come. So we waited three or four hours, you know. Oh. And little Richard actually did show up in a big white limousine, dressed in all these silks and I mean, just as pretty as could be. And smelling of, I don't know, Chanel number five or whatever the hell he wears. And he came in and uh, I showed him a song and he played piano on this song. And I was producing it and he wanted me to dance in the studio so I could influence him. Wow. So I'm up there producing it in the control room, but I'm also dancing around and getting little Richard to get into his room. It was, that was just. You know, like I went to a dance. I heard Little Richard. Now he's wanting me to dance to influence his play. Wow! Did you flash back to that moment right away? Oh, I, certainly, I certainly did. You know, oh. I told him. I told him about it. You know, that's amazing. It was just an ironic whole twist of life there. Like you know, you hit a time warp and bang, oh. you're in oh. the future, and there's Little Richard in on your session. Oh. And that just really was. I mean, what a moment in my life.
which is beautiful for me. Yeah, I, I, I and I, I'm, you know, people tell me I'm an old soul. I guess I'm 34 years old, actually, as of tomorrow. And I love, yeah, thank you. I I love the music from the '50s. I honestly do. I've got '50s box sets. So, you know, I've I've got like I love the original recordings. Like I I always hate hearing the re-recordings, and I want the originals. And I still get chills on those little Richard records when I hear "All Around the World." I just all around the world. Yeah, rock and roll is here today. Yeah. yeah, I I just. Oh, the girl can't have it. She was born to please. And yeah, exactly. I, I love them. I collected all the specialty records. I had them all. Yeah. You know, and they were like my prize records, Little Richard. And I had a party one night on a Saturday night at my house. And then I got a call. Could you please come over and, and we need a guitar player on this session? So I said, okay, I'll just let the party go on. And I went over to play the. The, the session and when I came back my entire record collection was stolen oh, oh, all God. these kids all these kids that I went to high school with they were all there I, mean, I knew most of them you know they all knew me and they were at my house house partying and they stole my records those aren't your friends <laughs> no, they, obviously they weren't I mean yeah. I couldn't believe anybody would actually be at my house and have the guts to steal my records. Uh, so there goes my whole Little Richard collection and everything else I collected there in the 1950s, early 60s, whatever it was. Um, unbelievable. Well, I hope over time you've recovered some of those at some point. None, none of those. Oh, no. yeah. Well. But anyway, it is what it is. You know, it's just it's a, it's a memory. We're always making memories. That's one of them. Yeah. Well, um, I guess uh, moving on to like you know like your history of music fandom and appreciation, what would, what was the first full length album you remember owning or buying yourself or the first because you know album rock really didn't start happening until really the early '60s, early to mid '60s. So, so what was the first album like a top to bottom thought that really like got gotcha? you? My first album was Elvis. It was Elvis's first album. Oh, the one from '55. Yep. Yeah, with that yeah, iconic 55. album cover and everything. Yeah. yeah, this Elvis is the name of that's all. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that because uh, you know I was such a big fan of Elvis at the time, I had to have it like every other kid. You gotta have Elvis Presley's records. Yeah. Uh, which it got even more pronounced after when the Beatles came on the scene. Yeah. You know? Then you really had to. You waited. You waited. For the first time, you heard a new Beatles record, and you always flipped out because they were always so progressively, but just in front of everybody else. And uh, but Elvis was my first album. Okay. Yeah, and first time I ever noticed an album, though, really in terms of what what they were, was my dad. What he used to play was uh, like Jackie Gleason records. The uh, he had an orchestra, Jackie Gleason. Yeah, yeah. And we used to hear that music around the house, and I loved it. I thought that the, hearing the, the orchestrations and, and all the melodies and how they interact in counterpoint, um, it really, it really helped me as far as like understanding song structure and the structure of music and orchestrations, so that I had kind of an inherent knowledge of it just from listening to all that uh, before I ever. You know, tried to take on the idea of leaving any 
orchestra or any uh, group of musicians yeah. in, a, in a production. That stuff helped me just because I was a kid and I was absorbing all that. Yeah. I, I mean, you're such a great songwriter, and you, uh, you're an amazing songwriter, and uh, you referenced Stagger Lee earlier, a song that really tells a story. And yes. you tell such great stories, if I do say so. Thank you. Is, it, it, was there a moment, you know, from, you know, of course you have the early era of rock and roll, you get into the album rock of the Beatles. Was there a real moment of you listening to music where you heard a story about post-Stagger Lee? Uh, where you heard, heard a song tell a story that just made you say, I'm going to be as much of a predominant writer as I am performer and musician. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I can remember hearing story songs. And one of them was uh, Johnny Cash singing Don't Take Your Guns to Town, son. Oh, man, yeah. You know, I mean, that, that moved me. It was the country feeling. I loved Johnny Cash for the first time I heard I Walked the Line. I was 12 years old. I was at my grandfather's house for the summer with my grandparents. And this is all in the book, too. I have a book, by the way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just hearing Johnny Cash sing I Walked the Line, that sound was so intriguing, you know. Um, and then when he went, what was the name of the song? It was... Uh, I forget the title, but it was, I don't take your guns to town, son. Yeah. Leave your guns at home, Bill. Right. And, I mean, that's a story in that. So yeah. You, you... A young cowboy named Billy Joe grew restless on the farm. A boy filled with wanderlust who really meant no harm. He changed his clothes and shined his boots and combed his dark hair down. And his mother cried as he walked out. Don't take your guns to town, son. Leave your guns at home, Bill. Don't take your guns to town. He laughed and kissed his mom and said, you're Billy Joe's a man. I can shoot as quick and straight as anybody can But I wouldn't shoot without a cause I'd gun nobody down But she cried again as he rolled away Don't take your guns to town, son Leave your guns at home, Bill Don't take your guns to town Sang a song as on he rode his guns hung at his hips He rode into a cattle town a smile upon his lips He stopped and walked into a bar and laid his money down But his mother's words echoed again Don't take your guns to town son Leave your guns at home Bill Don't Take your guns to town He drank his first strong liquor then To calm his shaking hand And tried to tell himself at last He had become a man A dusty cowpoke at his side Began to laugh him down And he heard again his mother's words Don't Take your guns to town, son. Leave your guns at home, Bill. 
Don't take your guns to town Fill with rage then Billy Joe reached for his gun to draw But the stranger drew his gun and fired before he even saw As Billy Joe fell to the floor the crowd all gathered round And wondered at his final words Don't Take your guns to town, son Leave your guns at home, Bill Don't take your guns to town You kind of get the feeling now when you hear that kind of thing that we're talking about like the old balladeers you know, of old that used to go around tell all their stories city to city yeah. Really, really pushing the news out there. What's going on? Yeah. Um, so in music, you started getting this, this kind of feel. And then Bob Dylan. When I, when I discovered Bob Dylan, man, I I, I had like six Bob Dylan albums, and I had I, it's all I played all day. I had them stacked up on my record player, and they just drop them one at a time. I listen to Bob Dylan, then I flip them over. Do the same thing for the second side because there's a man who told a story, but he told it in a way that so uh, it seemed deep, really deep at the time, and I and I believe most of it really was. What what's your what's your favorite, absolute favorite Bob Dylan song? That's a tough one, I know. That's really tough, but I think I like uh, was it called Desolation Row? Yeah, there was a, one that was like a whole side of an album, and it just these couplets over and over, these beautiful pairing of words and there's there's a couple of Dylan songs like that you know I mean if you really get into Bob Dylan there's so much good stuff Fourth Street uh, God was it I can't remember the title yeah, Positively Fourth Street right Positively Fourth Street yeah. I love yeah. I loved like a Rolling Stone I used to do that live oh yeah and you recorded with Al Cooper too right yeah I did he played on my Ursa Major album yeah and y'all played on Lace and Whiskey together for a track y'all uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So, I've known so. Al Cooper for a long time. He's a he's a good guy. He he advised me when I was going to leave Los Angeles to move to Nashville. Yeah. He said, "Well, okay, man, you know, welcome to Nashville, but you're never going to work down here. You have to work outside of Nashville because they don't allow you to work. You have to be there at least five years before you're allowed to be part of any recording community." Was was he but, was he right? Did Nashville treat you good or yeah, bad? Absolutely correct. Wow. I got wow. there. I, you know, I had all these gold records. I had um, all these hits. Um, I had a lot of new songs. I started going around to publishers to try to get some of my songs placed. Yeah. And it yeah. would be more like you'd walk into the publisher's office, and the first thing you'd say is, "How's Alice a snake?" Ah, jeez. You know? I mean, it was like there was no interest or focus on who you might be. How's Alice a snake? Ah. Uh, you know stuff like that. I, it was, and that was at several publishers. One time I got, well, those songs are brilliant, but I don't know what to do with them. And my answer to that was like, well, why don't you just play them for some people? Right. You know, how about that? Just play them for somebody. Tell them they're brilliant. You love them, and see what they did say. I I don't know how any of those guys could even listen to a fraction of your output and not think that they wouldn't have hits with them. I'm not try I'm really not trying to kiss your ass too much, but 
like they obviously don't dig deep enough and they're not big enough fans to care in my opinion because well they weren't fans at all they didn't even know me yeah but but they never gave more than a 30 second listen to anything this whole rule that you got to eliminate songs quickly you know that i mean i don't believe in that i believe if i get a song from somebody I listen to the whole thing, yeah. and then I can make a judgment about what can be done with it, if anything. Yeah, um, you know, because you have to give. You don't know what you're going to discover. Yeah, maybe you get halfway through the song and you discover a chorus that is great, and you realize the guy, his chorus is the verse, and it's turned inside out, and suddenly becomes a song. Yeah, you got to give things a chance. I mean, if it's absolutely terrible. You can go the 15 or 30 second route, but it's got to be absolutely terrible before I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. I'll always give it, give it a shot because you know, music comes from so many different places and, and people and the way they think, and you've got to give it a shot. You never know what you're going to discover. Yeah, and there there can be curves thrown in songs, especially if it's done right. Like uh, one, honestly, one of my all-time favorite songs in the whole world is "Might as Well Be on Mars," and if if you're not people that would even just get past the first course, they're not even going to be expecting that double course that happens halfway through the song. It's amazing. Uh, I mean, you're I mean, right. You're right about that. That's a real structure. I mean, that that song is a a real composition. Yeah. And, uh, and when when whenever I first heard that song, it got me right away. I heard it in 1991 when the album came out, when Hey Stupid came out, and it blew me away. And all my friends, even the hardest heavy metal fans that I knew was like, that's an amazing song. You have to hear this song. Yeah, well, I wrote that, I wrote that music and, and a couple of the first verses, um, and it was a different song. It was called Long Distance Love, and it was actually quite a good song, but but the Long Distance Love doesn't match up to I Might As Well Be On Mars. Yeah. So when I got together with Alice and I had this song, we changed, you know, we changed... But we kept the verse. We kept that uh, taxi driver swerving through the rain. You know, all that. Oh, yeah. I kept all that. And then we got, you know, might as well be on Mars. And we had a beautiful song finished. And then Alice went to L.A. to do some recording. And uh, he got together with Desmond Child. Yeah. Desmond Child came up with that. I might as well be on Mars. Oh, so he bit. did the second chorus. He did the second chorus. I'd already written the, the rest of the song, and then he added that in there. And all of a sudden, huge. I mean, really, a special song. Yeah. We're going to perform it this year now on, uh, on my summer tour. That's awesome. So we're That's awesome. adding that to the set, and we're also adding another song that Alice and I wrote called uh, Misery Train, which you've probably never heard. No, I guess I haven't. Where is, where, where is that song at? It's not out anywhere. It's oh. just one of the, I did a, I did like ten or twelve songs. I produced Alice and songs that we had written uh, in L.A. several years ago, and so I found that song, and I said, "Man, I got to do this song because it's so powerful. It's like a, it's like an ending song, you know, to end the set. It's yeah. a crazy ten-minute guitar virtuoso show-off stuff." And it's got tremendous lyrics. Oh yeah, I don't doubt that at all. <laughs> Misery train. Yeah. Misery train. Um, and last thing about might as well be on Mars. Do you mind? Actually, I I do an annual birthday show for Alice when it's his birthday in February, and a lot of these songs that you have written and recorded, or both, 
I've played a lot of these songs on my show already, but I figured I'd give my listeners a nice treat and play uh, the version that you recorded. I have it off of your uh, Hit Story album. Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good version of it. Yeah. Uh, would you mind if I played that for, for my listeners? Uh, to... I, would love you to, I would love you to play that. Okay, well, I'll definitely be doing that. Thank, thank you, Joey. That would be great, yeah.
that record a lot because you play like it's basically a history of your your material some of your best stuff too yeah 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 it's a good, it's a pretty good record i like it too yeah. that was my first solo album my first chance to do everything myself i programmed the whole thing and i played and sang yeah it, yeah. it sounds like a labor of love for sure and i appreciate that about it so thank you i appreciate it 
I do appreciate you a lot. I mean, the fact that you've taken the time to out of your day to call and talk to me and also talk about my music with with a degree of knowledge and intelligence that I don't normally get. You know, oh, well, thank a lot you. Of times, you know, a lot of times people will call to interview, but they don't really, they maybe got a little background about an hour before they do the interview. Yeah. And obviously you uh, you know more because you're more into the whole music thing with Alice and so on. So I really appreciate the fact that you are Oh, well, thank you. That's a major compliment coming from yourself. Uh, if, if I may ask you one more Alice question, then I'll totally move on, I swear. Uh, uh, you can ask me anything. I told you that. So go ahead. Um, and this, of course, uh, another one of my all-time favorite songs ever, and I said this on last year's Alice show, is it, it still intrigues me to this day, and every time it comes on, I, I, can't, I can only pay attention to that song. It's not a song that you listen to in the car and it just fades to the background. It demands your total attention. It's a song called Pass the Gun Around. Uh. Can you tell me what inspired that? Was it was it another kind of zipper catch a skin type of session? I know it was for the Dot album, but you were talking about, you know, some of the things uh, that went on during that. But here's what happened, okay? I'll tell you what happened. Okay. Alice was supposed to make one last record for Warner Brothers, right? right? Um, they did not have a good relationship. Mm-hmm. And Bob Mesrin was going to produce. And Bob wanted to produce it up in Toronto. And it was wintertime. And it was cold. And Alice was in Arizona with his family. And he did not want to go to Toronto. In fact, they were having a big battle, Bob and Alice, about when they were going to record it, where they were going to record it. So Ezrin called me and he said, Dick, you got to help me out here. you got to go down and try to get Alice to write, first of all, and second of all, get him to come to Toronto to record, because he doesn't want to come up there, and I don't want to go to Phoenix. <laughs> I'm here with my family, so, you know. So I said, okay, I'll go. So I went to Phoenix and went to Alice's house, and I stayed there, and I, I just started. He was very morose and not wanting to even do this album. Um, he didn't want to do the album, so um, I had to talk to him. And I, you know, I talked to him and said, Alice, look, man, you got to do one last record for Warner Brothers. Just Let's just do it. Let's just write this thing, and uh, and I'll try to work it out with Bob to come down here, or, or maybe we'll have to go up there for a little bit of time, but it won't take long. And, Anyway, he still wouldn't do anything, so I started writing, and I started out three or four of the songs that are on Dada. I got them started, and then he got kind of, <laughs> I guess he, he listened to me doing it, and he finally sat down one day and said, okay, let's, let's take this one. And I think the first one we did was Pass the Gun Around. Oh, man. You know, Pass the Gun Around was a song about you know killing yourself on alcohol, mm-hmm. which Alice was actually doing. I mean... He came so close to it, you know. Yeah, was twice, a, right? Yeah, twice. And just a tremendous drunk he was. I mean, you never knew he was drunk, but he was drinking so much yeah. that nobody could stand it. I mean, no human being could take the amount of whiskey that he was drinking. Anyway, so the song Passed the Gun Around comes good. I started playing the sort of, sort of Beatle-ish uh, chord progression, you know. da 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 in the morning, feeling kind of sick. And 
put that together and Alex came up with pass the gun around because he got the idea of just passing the bottle. Yeah. You know, you're passing and you're all killing yourselves. Everybody who's in the circle, whoever they are. Yeah. Pass, passing it around. So so that song came about and then when we went to record it, I mean short long story short, I convinced him. Yes, okay, we're gonna go to Toronto, let's go up there, two weeks we're done. You know, and um Somehow, at the very last day before we were thinking about leaving, and Alice was still bitching that he didn't want to go, <laughs> uh, Shep Gordon came up with a check for $90,000 and gave it to Alice so he could cover his taxes. He was all worried about his taxes being behind him, but Shep somehow probably just went to his own personal bank and drew it out. Shep makes all the money. It isn't Alice, it's Shep. But, um, and that made him say, oh, okay, cool. Now I can go and I don't have to worry about this back here with my wife. It kind of cleared his mind to go ahead and go to Toronto. So we took off for Toronto, Alice and I. And uh, ensconced ourselves in, the, I think it was the Hilton. And we had this this big two-bedroom suite with a big living room. And have people in for meetings or entertain or whatever and have our own rooms. And... We could write. We had the space there to write in that living room. And after a session, we go downstairs to uh, the the lounge. And you know, we come back from a session, go to the lounge, and have dinner and have a few drinks. And pretty soon, I was going up to the piano and playing. And Alice would come up and start singing with me. And and it became Alice and his dick. <laughs> That's what wow. That's what we call it. Alice and his dick <laughs> uh, playing uh, playing lounge songs and, and playing original songs and and all the people in the place just loved the hell out of it. And we do that until closing time. I can imagine. I'm sure those people went home that night going, "You're not going to believe what I just saw tonight." That, yeah, that was like many nights in a row. <laughs> so, so it was Alice Cooper and Dick Wagner entertaining in in the lounge at the Hilton. Oh. Uh, and then we go upstairs, and we maybe have come up with some kind of idea, and start writing. Just passed out. I mean, you finally just couldn't do it anymore. Get up in the morning, you know, and go to the studio with this new idea, and record it. Re I mean, finish the writing of it right on the spot and record it. And uh, passing it around was just one of those, one of those songs that just yeah. was so great. Needs it really quick Sees a little blood run from his eyes Feels a little hotel paralyzed Watching cartoons. 
cartoons and televisions on There's a couple of party balloons and all my money's gone She was just a reason to unwind And actually the last thing I could
I actually just also played Scarlet and Sheba on my show a few weeks ago, and I, yeah. I think those two songs are probably the best Alice songs that most people haven't heard. They're just amazing songs. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the Scarlet and Sheba song is another whole story. I'm telling all these stories out of my book. You yeah. Oh no, no. I, I'll save that one because I know I read an excerpt on that actually, and and the, I'll go ahead and say it. I'll say at the end of the show too. The book is called Not Only Women Bleed: Vignettes from the Heart of a Rock Musician. And you can get it on Kindle, uh, but I highly recommend, like Dick just said, go to uh, go to his website, which I will link here on the show. And let me tell, let me tell you exactly what it is. You can write this down, Joey. Sure. It's www.notonlywoundbleed.com. Right. If you do that, you get to the site, and it has all the reviews. I mean, just all five star reviews for months. Yeah. It's got little excerpts from the book. If you, if you have to do that, take a look and read some of it. It's got places you can make comments. Oh, yeah. And, and it's got a place you can order it. It's through PayPal or uh, Amazon.com. I don't know exactly what's on the site, yeah. but you can order it there. Oh, and I checked the site on Amazon, too. I saw that Bob Ezrin gave you a really nice review on the site. So that was really cool for him to do that. Yeah, he gave me a great review. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was really cool. And Alice does the forward. I know. I know that. Yeah. So. And my my manager, Susie Michelson, she was the editor of the book. She like speaks four or five languages. Wow. She, she's definitely a. She's brilliant and and she takes care of all my business. I mean, I could not live without her. But uh, Susie Michelson is the editor, and she's credited there for that too because she did a great job. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to in April. I'm going on April sixth. I'm going to San Antonio, yes, Texas, to be a, a, awarded a national spokesperson for a group um, called Hydro Angels Over America. It's a it's a group promoting awareness of hydrocephalus, yes, which is a condition that I have, and it makes you if you don't treat it, it makes you um, drift into dementia. And like I was walking around like an 85-year-old man, just shuffling. I couldn't walk. Wow. I was falling. All these things happened until they discovered I had hydrocephalus. And then they had to drill a hole in my head and put a shunt in, in my brain to do, do a drain off excess spinal fluid. That's what it is. Wow. It's, it's Essex. It swells your brain and makes you go into symptoms of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. All of it. It's a very, it's a very bad situation, but they discovered it, and it, I'm totally treated. That's why I'm able to go back out on the road and play. Yeah, I would have never known that if you hadn't told me. I mean, you, you're sharp as a tack today, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I'm, that's what I mean with the way they've treated me. Uh, I can do that. Last year at this time, I wouldn't have been able to hardly talk to you, much less do anything else. Wow. So it's really made a big difference in my life. In any case, I'm going to become the national spokesperson for this hydrocephalus group. And uh, so they're do, doing a big thing to honor me on the 6th of April in uh, San Antonio. And then we leave the next day, go to New York City for some book signings at Barnes & Noble and also at the Friars Club, of all places. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The Friars Club, you know, that that's where all the old... All the the, the legends comedy, of comedy, yeah. Yeah, all the legends of comedy and, and the industry. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do a book signing at the Friars Club. 
and then I'm going to New Jersey to do a couple, and then I'm going to Boston, and um, and a couple of other cities in Massachusetts, and I think I'm also going to go up to uh, New Hampshire to, uh, to do one up there. Well, and then, then after that, I have to go, come back to Phoenix and then back to Detroit to start rehearsals for my summer tour. Oh, very cool. Will you, uh, I, I might as well ask, since you mentioned it, will you be coming out to the uh, Dallas area, hopefully, and do a show for us? Well, there, there is a possibility now. I have these friends. Uh, Bobby Flores, he's a guitar player. He's pretty famous in Texas. He's pretty famous. And he and I are going to do some dates together in May. Okay. One of them is Dallas. Oh, yeah. Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio, as far as I know. That's what's in the works right now. Um, but I'm playing with, I'm going to come down there and sit in with him and these musicians, a band that I've been making records with for over 30 years. Okay. So we all know each other really well. And all they have to do is learn a few of my songs. And I'm going to learn a few of their songs. And then we're going to go out, Bobby Flores there, going out do these dates. This is going to be a special thing that we're going to continue to do into the future. Wow. Well, I, because, I will be there right up front. And I will. Well, we'll have to figure a way to let you know. I guess if you look at my Facebook site, you'll you'll always know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. You, have to go on, you have to go. If you want to talk to me on there, Joey, ever, it's a Dick Wagner, Maestro of Rock. All right. That's the group you sign on there because my Dick Wagner site is way over 5,000 friends and nobody else can sign up. Yeah, that's a way, isn't it? <laughs> it's not at five grand. So. Yeah. Anyway, I can be found on Facebook and I do get on there every day and talk to people. So That's awesome. Uh, well, you is. can you can add me to that list now, too. I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll, you'll be getting one today from me. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I, I guess I need to fill out just a just a couple of more here, and then I'll let you go. Is there is there is there anything that you heard throughout your career, song wise? And it could be from anybody. I don't care who. Maybe just a couple of songs where you heard it, uh, even while you were having the great career you've had. Uh, you say, "I wish I wrote that." Yes, Ray Charles, "Drown in My Own Tears." I heard that in 1956. There was a new album that just came out called The Genius of Ray Charles. Yeah, yeah. And there was a live version of Drowned in My Own Tears. It's a, it's a slow, slow, but poignant blues that just blew my mind for two reasons. Number one is Ray's voice and, his, and the song, how they combine the kind of emotion. And the second is the tightness the incredible tightness live of the band. I mean, talk about a band that played together. Jeez. Yeah. Just... All right. It brings a tear. Since you've been gone 
little sweet tonight. Let me hear you say it again. You know, I want to check it right now. But I believe I'm going to drown. Say now, oh, oh, oh. thing just moved me down. I was just 1956. I was barely playing yet. I mean, I was um, I started playing the guitar probably in uh, no, I don't think I was even playing yet. I was still in high school. Yeah, you, you, you said you, you learned like right away like right before you turned pro, you'd only been playing about a year or something, right? Oh yeah, I went immediately into playing yeah. I, I heard, yeah, you, you told uh, Chris Enzak that. I remember that. Yeah, I, yeah, I just I had such a natural ability for the guitar. Plus, I, I rehearsed it 10 hours a day. I mean, I never had the guitar out of my hands, it seems like, you know. Yeah. I was up into the late hours at night and, and up early before going to school and playing. You know, I mean, I would, as soon as I got home, the guitar was in my hand. I, that was it. That was it for me. I knew I was going to do this for a living. Huh. And that's what I wanted, so. Very cool. You know, my dad used to say, why don't you stop playing up on that E string? I can't stand it. And then he'd send me to the basement. You want to get out of here? We're watching TV. So uh, I'd have to go down to the basement and listen to Jerry Lee Lewis practice, which was just fine with me. <laughs> I will end on this. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. Uh, me and my special lady, Nola, that I live with, and we will be getting married at some day here, at some point. Uh, we're Congratulations. What, oh, thank you very much. Um, she, we're, we're, we're really big Kiss fans. We even went on the Kiss cruise last year, actually. I, I think it's pretty amazing that she, and especially her, thinks that the fact that I'm talking to the guy that played guitar on, on Beth, the acoustic guitar, is, yeah. is, is, a, is a big deal for us. And uh, I, I don't think I've heard you comment on this unless I missed it. Uh, with the re-release of Destroyer last year, the, the new Bob Ezrin mix, and the fact that we can really hear you now on the record, <laughs> like, like really, really, that, really. That's good. Yeah, well, that version. I haven't heard it. To be honest with you, I haven't heard it. Oh, really? Okay. I'm going to have to listen to it. I know that Gene Simmons actually has credited me in certain conversations. Yeah. Uh, the, the first time. Is when I first recorded it, I got no credit. Yeah. It's funny because the the first time I think I read your name in print when I was in junior high school, I was reading a Guitar World magazine or something like that, and it was Gene Simmons basically just laying everything on the line, and he was talking about how Ace didn't play on certain songs, and you were the first name he mentioned. So that's not Ace on Sweet Pain, and I don't know if you mentioned Beth, but he did name check you, and that was the first time I remember actually reading your name. Uh, So I, I never forgot that, but 
Uh, yeah, definitely go listen to that Destroyer remix that Ezrin did last year because you can re- they can really hear you now on Beth finally because originally we really couldn't hear the acoustic guitar all that much, just a little bit here and there, but you're really up in the mix now, and it's really great. It's a really great moment. So That's cool, man. I'm going to do that because I was always straining to hear myself play on that too. Yeah, it's way better now. I mean, it's, it's, it's not the highest thing in the mix still, but you're definitely really there this time. Finally. Great. I'll be listening for that. Thanks. Thanks, Ray. playing and we just can't find the sound just a few more hours and I'll be right home to you I think I hear the calling oh Beth what can I do Beth what can I do you say you feel so empty That our house just ain't a home That I'm always somewhere else And you're always there alone Just a few more hours And I'll be right home to you I think I hear them calling Oh Beth, what can I do? What can I do? I'm going to keep in touch with you, Dick, and uh, I'll, I'll be on the Facebook with you. And I look, I really hope that, that, that those shows in Texas happen, especially the Dallas one. I will be there front row center. All right. Great. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. I've never had the can pleasure I, of hearing you play. So can, I, I, can, I get a, can I get a copy of this interview? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I'll, I'll send you the links to the show, and I'll even send you a physical disc of it. So. All right. That'd be great. You know, send it to Susan. She, she has a whole library of stuff. That is mine. I want to keep a record of this. I think it was a really good interview, and I really enjoyed it with you. So. Thank you. 
So that's going to do it. There you go. That was myself and the gracious Mr. Dick Wagner. Thank you so much for coming on to the show here. And please visit the website, notonlywomenbleed.com. That's notonlywomenbleed.com. Order his book directly through him, and you will get an autographed copy and two full free CDs of music by the man himself. What a great deal. What more can you ask for? It's a great read. My favorite books are books about rock and roll. So uh, before I get out of here, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I played here on the show here tonight. Just to clarify, we played Etta James with Eddie Cleanhead Vincent doing Only Women Bleed. That's off of the album The Late Show from 1986. Great performance. I got to agree with Dick. I think that's my favorite version of Only Women Bleed as well. Of course, after the original we played Elvis's Heartbreak Hotel off of the debut album, Elvis Presley. I recommend to go get that Legacy Edition that just came out very recently, and they put the first two Elvis albums on there. So check it out. It's like a two for the price of one kind of thing. Who doesn't love those Legacy Deluxe Editions? They're great. We played Lloyd Price's Stagger Lee, one of Dick Wagner's favorite songs of all time. It's on a lot of different 50s compilations. I recommend the Rhino Box set called Loud, Fast, and Out of Control but make sure you get the original version, whatever you do. We played Little Richard's Long Tall Sally. Uh, you can get that off of the Georgia Peach record if you can. Uh, that's one of those songs that's everywhere as well, but like I said, get the original. I threw in the Throbs, which is what he was talking about with Little Richard playing on the session that he produced by the band The Throbs. The song was called It's Not the End of the World. You can find that on the 1991 record called The Language of Thieves and Vagabonds. Really cool gem to discover from the early 90s. Go check that one out. If you're a fan of the Sunset Strip scene from the 80s, you're going to love it. It's just a really cool record, man. And uh, we also heard Johnny Cash's Don't Take Your Guns to Town off the 1958 record called The Fabulous Johnny Cash. We heard from the man himself, Dick Wagner, the man of the hour, with his version of Might As Well Be On Mars, a song that he wrote with Alice Cooper and Desmond Child. And that particular version was on his solo record called Rock Hitstory. Yes, with Hitstory. Hitstory. That's how you spell it. And that's a really cool record. He did it all by himself. And he also performed a lot of the songs that, you know, have been made famous over the years, like Alice's You and Me, uh, Air Supplies Just As I Am, Only Women Bleed, of course, The Great I Never Cry. Man, I didn't even talk to him about You and Me. That's one of my favorite songs of all time, and my favorite song to play on the guitar, period. But yeah, You and Me, check that one out. Uh, we also played Pass the Gun Around by Alice Cooper off of the album Dada from 1983. Yes, a very dark song, but very cool, very compelling, and that it's just great songwriting and great storytelling. I don't care what you think. We also heard Ray Charles, the genius of Ray Charles, with Drown in My Own Tears, live version. I got that from the 1962 Ray Charles story, Volume 2. And then closing the show out with Beth, of course, by Kiss, off the 1976 classic Destroyer. And you can really hear his beautiful acoustic guitar in the mix. Finally, justice has been served. I just really want to thank Dick for coming on the show here. I had a blast. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Please go to cnjradio.com. You can find the link to the iTunes, the Facebook, and the Twitter. Please 
join, follow, like, all that stuff. When you go to the iTunes link and subscribe, or if you already have, please go to the comment section, leave a comment, tell me what you think of the show. Reviews are really, truly a great way to help out any podcast that you love. And as always, please buy your music legitimately and legally. Support the artists that create this thing that we love called music and rock and roll. It's the best thing going. But yes, thank you again for joining me on this show, and we'll see you on the next one. Have fun.